uh, COVID and off the fence, well, that just sent us into another orbit. Uh, we didn't stop. Uh, in fact, if anything, we got twice as busy. And as we come to this new stage of COVID, the schools are wide open. The, the places where we've stood before are more open than I've ever known. People are more open to the gospel than I've ever known. Uh, we are seeing a lot, lot more people starting to end up on the streets. A lot of middle uh, income people that have lost houses, jobs. Uh, a lot of people that have never known homelessness. We've got a major big issue now, especially as winter comes and we plan for antifreeze to stop people dying on the streets of Brighton and Hove through the cold. Uh, so that's a big programme. We've got a new lady in charge of that. We, we've got our, our, the different vans, the, the, the washing vans, the hygiene van was even more needed now uh, through the COVID to keep people clean, uh, make sure that the homeless had everything they needed. We used them so many times that, the, that both vans are clapped out. But we brought them in to the day centre. So we've now got showers. We've now got laundrette as part of our day centre. And we continue to work with the council and all the different groups to make sure that people keep alive. And it's been a wonderful joint up kind of expression that's allowed us to meet and help so many more women at risk. You know, last time I was with you, I told you that we were in a place when we were praying about buying the building. Right in the middle of COVID, the people who owned the building said, oh, we've got to sell. Uh, and we thought, my goodness, the last thing we want through COVID is a capital appeal. And the target, £530,000. And to date, we've raised about 510000 The property is ours. Uh, we are just about to build on the back. Uh, just to give you an idea of how many times the service has been accessed this year, 16,798 times. That's just access. Uh, you know, the one-to-one, day-to-day thing, 2,000. We've got the top uh, of the place that it's now fully done, but we're really praying through planning permission at the moment, and that should start very soon. We're, we're just waiting on that. Uh, but that's just gone through to a different planet. We've got uh, we've got the schools work. Well, it's almost embarrassing now. The schools are begging us to come in. <laughs> And, you know, wonderful to be able to share the gospel. Uh, there's not a place that I don't think the gospel is now closed. The council seeing what the Christians do through a pandemic and gives us great opportunities. And we go into places that I never thought of that I ever would. Last week got to speak to the Brighton Over Albion team just before the match and speaking about why we do what we do 
and why Jesus Christ is Lord of all. We've got Graham Potter, the manager, as one of our patrons. And just to give a plug, I mean, we've got the big sleep out coming out. I've done this for 24 years, 24 times. And every time I do the sleep out, it pours with rain. It's a miserable night. You know, every time I say, do you really love me, God? I mean, uh, especially at two in the morning. And every single penny are going to the best sleeping bags possible. £20 saves a life. I've seen it. Oh, that, that's another thing happening. Next year, we celebrate 25 years of off the fence. I remember being here and talking about the vision, the dream. Would God give us £4,000 for me and Wendy to go full time? And God raised that money. And, and since that time, we've seen £9 million come through the books of Off the Fence. And uh, we've now got 27 staff. I'm now re-recruiting. Uh, I've never known so many opportunities. To be honest with you, this morning I woke up and I thought it was Monday. <laughs> honest. I, I, I was getting ready and Wendy says, oh, where are you going this early? I said, I'm going to work. She says, you're not, it's Sunday. <laughs> uh, uh, yesterday, got the opportunity, there was a memorial service for a very special person in Hove. They've done a great big tent and you know, 500 people turned up. Uh, done the crematorium in the morning. On Friday night, done the university students. There is not a place where we can't share Jesus. I've never seen opportunities like it. And, you know, just really pray with us. Uh, there's such, it seems that an awful lot of agencies and an awful lot of charities went into hibernation. And... Covid was the worst time that we could have done that, and the opportunities and the openings just got as big as they could ever get, and there's so much more to be done. A lot of people dying on the streets, a lot of people out there that are very fearful, very frightened, a lot of anger out there, a lot of worries. But we can make a difference, and we do make a difference. And thank you. I need your prayers. More than you can ever imagine. And if anybody thinks, oh, actually, we'd like to buy a sleeping bag, I'd love to hear from you. Please go to our website. There's a thousand and one other things going on. And also, if you feel up to it, Friday the 12th, I've got Graham Potter, he's sleeping out with us, the right manager, a few of the players. Uh, we've got somebody called Mpongo or Mpongo doing the, uh, doing the uh, bedtime story uh, for us. Yeah. Um, uh, what's his name? McPurgo. McPurgo, he's coming, he's doing... I'm going to have to, <laughs> you know, I've got him doing the night kind of story. We've got people from all over just wanting to come on because people now want to make a difference. I think people have been locked in for so long and it's time for the church to come to the plane and really make the difference. And I've never seen opportunities like it. So wonderful things and I'm still shocked that it's still Sunday. Uh, and, and, you know, if I start coughing, it's not COVID. I've been double jabbed. 
I do my PCR test twice a week, but, you know, it was a big service yesterday, no PA, so I'm wrecked there, and I've got another two after this one for today. So it's a big day, but I always love being part of Volney Chapel, and I pray for you often, and I love you in the Lord. Is it possible to have the lights on? My poor old eyes are just as wrecked as my voice, so. Oh, that's better. No, not much. But. <laughs> Is that it? Is that it? Are you saving on your bills? <laughs> no, that's lovely. Thank you. So today we're looking at the prodigal son. Uh, be far better called the prodigal sons. Or would be far better called the extravagant father. That's what it's really all about. So we're in Luke 15. And the Pharisees had already come to the decision that Jesus is not the right material. He's blowing every circuit under the sun. Jesus was mixing with just the wrong kind of people. How could this be a holy man, they said. For a Pharisee would never mix with a sinner let alone have lunch with them. And that's where we are with Jesus in Luke 15, verse 2. It tells us that's where he is. You see, they were separate people. They were holy people. They were legalistic. They represented a stern God. They represented the law. So Jesus gave this parable. In fact, he gives six parables And they're all about items of great value being lost and the joy and the excitement once they're found. And what it means to the owner when that one piece of property is found and whenever a person is found, that which was lost and the wonder and the joy and the party that ensues. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, as introduction, he says, God's grace is far bigger than your rules or your view of God. People are of such a value to God. Jesus tells us God rejoices rejoices over just one sinner coming to him with singing. And a great party is had in heaven over every individual sinner that repents. Isn't that wonderful? The Pharisees' view of God is a sombre God, quite morose, with a constant stick. Do one thing wrong and you're finished. Jesus says, not so. That's not the true God. If you're repented and you follow him, then God is for you. He is joyful. He smiles over you. Not crowds coming to him, one sinner, one sinner, and there's a party, a celebration in heaven. That's what Jesus is trying to go over to the Pharisees. And Jesus is showing them that don't really know God Almighty. They believe in a religion of exclusion. And I've been to churches like that. They've built up walls of exclusion. But Jesus is mixing with the outcasts. 
And for that reason the Pharisee says let's reject Jesus. We want him dead. The Pharisee says we're the ones that represent God. Jesus says to them I'm the son of God. I'm the son of God. I know God. And he rejoices over everyone that repents and follows him. So Jesus then gives them this parable. We call it the prodigal son. Put yourself please in the shoes of those that are listening today. You're in the Middle East, in an Eastern culture. And it's a shame culture, it's an honour culture. At all costs, you avoid anything that's going to bring dishonour onto the family. So Jesus gives this shocking story. So shocking, it's beyond belief to the Pharisees. No father, no son would ever put themselves through what this prodigal boy is about to put himself through in the Middle East. And Jesus is painting an extreme, extreme outcast to a shame culture. Verse 11. The boy asked for a terrible thing. Give me my share of the estate. This is never ever done. To ask for this state before the father had, had died is like saying, I want you dead now. The Pharisees would see this as outrageous. It's the father's honour at risk. It's a shameful act. Wishing the father to be dead. The boy is risking the welfare of the whole estate. Give me my stuff now, I want it. The Pharisees would have expected the father to have slapped that boy down. Punish him would be the least that he could do. Punish him was the only solution. Now it gets worse for them. Words the Pharisees would never expect to hear. He divided his wealth. What? What? No way. Don't give it to that shameful, insolent son. But he did. And from that moment on, the Pharisees sank in. It's the father that's taken on the shame. A dishonourable son followed by an even more dishonourable father. A silly love. A weak love. And why is the older brother not protecting the family's honour? It's getting worse. This story is just unbelievable. The boy takes the money and he flees to a pagan land, we're told. And spends all the money on prostitutes and wild living. He wasted the entire fortune. Verse 25, it says his brother knew he had spent it on prostitutes. It got back. It got back. It wasted it all. And then famine. <laughs> and his so-called friends start to leave. He's now starving. There's no money. Verse 15. He is desperate for a job. And he gets the worst job. Keeping pigs. 
terrible for the Jew, the most unclean animal. Too much for the Pharisees to take in now. No good Jewish boy would ever do that. Verse 16, so hungry that he wants to eat the pig feed. He's starving. What Jew would do this? Jesus, remember, is pointing to the worst of sinners, the most wasteful sinners Jesus ever could have portrayed. And this kind of sinner for the Pharisees kept coming to Jesus. The crowds kept coming. This boy had looked everywhere else for fulfilment but God. Now he is poor, he is sick, he is lost, he is hungry and he is hopeless. So Jesus invents the ultimate sinner. Now let's see how God treats him. Who is portrayed as the father in this story? Of course it's God Almighty. If God forgives him the worst, then there is great hope for everyone else. The boy, verse 17, when he comes to his senses, what a wonderful day that is. Sanity is restored. He thought, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and more to eat? The day labourers was even treated well by his father. His dad was a generous man. Gave more than he needed to. He was good. That's why he goes home. Might be terribly humiliating to be a hired hand. Of course it would. It would be terribly humiliating because all the hired hand would know him as the son. He once had it all. He'd so dishonoured his father and could never be able to earn his way back. Okay, let's start again as a hired ad. It's better than starving to death. My father is compassionate. He knew that, so he comes home. Verse 18, I will get up and go to my father and will say, Father, I have sinned. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me be a hired servant. The Pharisees would be thinking there, this is way too lenient. Should let him die. Don't let take him back. Show him as, a, as an example. I meet many people each and every day that drop to the bottom. They hit that rock bottom but thankfully they come to their senses. But he comes to his senses, whatever it costs, I want to now live and go back to the one who is so good. You can't buy this by works, friends. You can't do it by religion. The Pharisees, that boy was doing the first right thing. They thought, oh, okay, he's starting to come to himself. It's time for him to pay back every single penny and squirm. 
Verse 20. He got up to meet the father. He was smelling like the pigs. Dirty, starving, broken. So back he comes. What will he face? What humbling thing? What rebuke? He is a long way off, it tells us in the Bible. And the father saw him. The father saw him because he had not stopped looking for him. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? The father had not stopped looking for him. And the father felt such compassion. The Pharisees at this stage are disgusted. There needs to be tough love now. The father is doing him no favours whatsoever. The father runs unheard of. So undignified in that culture. Now the shame is back on the father. And he runs and he runs to the boy. No Middle Eastern father would do this. The boy is unclean. He's a waster. He has no shame. He smells of the pigs and he goes to the prostitutes. But the father runs and embraces him. And he kisses him and kisses him. Oh, the shame of the father, the Pharisees saw. The, the boy had come with a penitent heart. And there's no rejection in the father. Do we see God like that? Overjoyed to have the boy back? Or do we see God like the Pharisees? Stern, angry and legalistic. Our God came running all the way down to our dusty old world, willing to take on the shame and take on our sin due to each one of us. And he embraces the repentant sinner and he kisses and he kisses him. <coughs> Jesus is saying to the Pharisees this, if you don't know this kind of God, you don't know him. You think you do, but you don't. The Son of Man has come to save and seek that which was lost. The prodigal would have by the Pharisees been taunted, thrown out, punished, left for dead. But the Father showed great grace. The Pharisees had no idea about grace, God's free gift. And the Pharisees were so mad. Now, the prodigal in this story had rehearsed his speech well. He was going to give to the father exactly what he knew. He got back, but that was before the father had run to him, kissed him and embraced him. There's no place for a hired hand in my household for my boy. The father wanted his son back. Lavish, over-the-top grace. My Bible says quite clearly, God rejoices over the sinner who repents. And God's joy is overflowing and heaven sings when one comes to know him. Instead of pain and rejection, 
The boy gets forgiveness, restoration, reconciliation. Nothing to earn back. The religion of the day says it cannot be. You have to earn your way to heaven. Not so, Jesus said. Because the son was penitent and trusting. Not only was he forgiven, but given full sonship with all the benefits back. Aren't you pleased to that? I'm pleased to that. The father, of course, is God in Christ. God loves sinners and lavished his grace upon each and every one. It breaks boundaries. It's pure love. He rejoices over one sinner repenting. Are you getting that? Over one. Doesn't need to be great crowds. One. And heaven rejoices. To be honest, many of us are not used to seeing God like this. And in verse 22, it's party time. The best food, the best robe, sonship, bring the ring, all the benefits. Bring the shoes on his feet, full privileges of the house. This is what happens to the most wretched sinner Jesus could portray. The worst probably in all historical viewing for these Pharisees. How much has God Almighty lavished on us? For the Pharisee listening, it's outrageous. Every circuit's being blown. Verse 23, the fatty calf. Invite the whole village through my son's back. He was dead. Now he's alive. But we have one more character, don't we, in this story? The older brother, verse 25. <coughs> Even though he stayed at home, he had no relationship with the father. The father didn't even tell him his brother had returned. The father knew the older brother would not have joy of seeing his younger brother returning. He wasn't a prodigal, but a religious hypocrite. And the Pharisees are realising that Jesus was likening the older brother to them. They complained the sinners came to Jesus. That's where it starts in verse 2. And Jesus welcomed them. But they wanted nothing to do with the outsider. Nothing to do with people that are not like them. The door was bolted and closed. They only wanted the people that fit. Many churches like that. The older brother comes and he hears the music. And he becomes angry. Verse 2. The sinner came to Jesus and the Pharisees were so angry. Jesus is making the comparison. You see, the Pharisees have become the enemies of grace. You have to earn your way to God. A joyless, legalistic, payback religion. The older boy is as lost as the younger one. And they become so angry. They were wicked in their own hearts and they were hypocrites. Mm -hmm. 
They lived a performance, no relationship with God kind of religion. Look how good I am. I found the way. I represent God. My good living, my holy laws, my legalistic ways. Not so. You think you represent God, but you don't really know him. My goodness. You put people off by your religion. By the ways you represent God. But the father goes out to the elder son, even so, and says, Come on in, you're welcome too to the party. Jesus is now offering hope and grace even to the Pharisees. Don't close the door on anyone, he's saying. The father says, welcome, come on in. God cries, come on in. And the sinners come to flock to hear Jesus speak and to follow him. The sad thing is, very few Pharisees did. Locked in their religion. Verse 29, the older son says, I have stayed here, I have obeyed your laws, not neglected my work, but you never gave me a fatted calf. You never had a party for me. My brother slept with prostitutes. He wasted the family inheritance. He's dishonoured you and the family and you give him the best. And the father replies, my child, all that is mine is yours. Your brother was lost, but now he's found. And I'm so joyful because he's a trophy of grace. It's all about the Father's wondrous grace. And the story suddenly stops there. Jesus, what happened to the boys? Especially the older one. Did he see his father's love and compassion and joy? Did he repent and join the party and embrace his son, his his brother, and just have great time with his dad again? Did he join the celebration? Did he? We know what happened. They hated Jesus even more than they did before. And they planned from that moment to kill him. Shouting, let his blood be upon our shoulders. They lived a lie, you see. We're protecting the honour of the almighty God. We're protecting society. Upholding righteousness, religiousness, injustice, rules. But Jesus saying, you're hypocrites. Jesus says, you know nothing of the Father. And you need the Father's goodness. It's so great that he loves not only the sinner but the hypocrite. Come to the party. Hypocrite, prostitute, liar, cheater. Repent, come home. Because you are welcome to the party. And at the cross everything is paid for. And the Father wants to embrace us. And he wants to kiss us. 
and cry, welcome home, son and daughter. And when we come, great joy is released in heaven because you're home, part of the family of God, sons and daughters of the living God. The wonderful, gracious, loving Father. That's my God and that's who I represent. A smiling God who looks at each one of you that have said sorry and want to follow him. And he looks down, not with a stick, but with a smiling face and a heart of joy, knowing that each one of you has a value of more than anything you can imagine. You are pure gold to the God that I serve. Amen.